Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Today on the show, we have Usman Trowdry, who owns three Dunkin' Donuts franchises with another three under construction. In this conversation, we run the gamut from talking about the power of Duncan's brand and how that's impacted his journey compared to if he opened up his own coffee shop. We also discuss the pros and cons he sees in owning a traditional location in a strip mall versus the two locations he owns on college campuses. I especially enjoyed this conversation because Usman is a deep thinker who doesn't rush into the decisions and respects the value of good research and assessing all your options. This came into play when he was choosing the franchise route versus going on his own when he was looking at financing options and beyond. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I think you'll learn a lot from Usman. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by The Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek, and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. One of the big reasons I started this podcast is to teach people that franchise ownership isn't just for the ultra-wealthy. And one of the tools that makes that possible is Franchairs. With Franchairs, you can invest anywhere between $500 and $500,000 and let the passive income roll in. Be the first to get access by adding your name to the waitlist today at Franchairs.com. I think a good starting point would just be like, what was your first exposure to franchises? And, you know, like, how did you just become interested in the beginning? I don't think I started looking into concepts as franchises first. My family's been in business for quite some time. They're all in retail gas stations, that sort of thing. Uh, And I always knew I wanted to own my own business. And uh, the businesses that I was looking into just happened to be franchises. I wasn't quite ready to do the jump right into the family business. So I kind of wanted to find a different brand. And, you know, Duncan is what, what I picked, but I was open to other concepts or starting something of my own, anything like that. I wanted to find something that worked for me. And then it just happened to be a franchise. Okay, gotcha. And did you have any reservations of the franchise model versus your own? Because like I, it's a common critique right off the bat from some people is that, oh, franchise, you have to pay royalties, franchise fees, like I don't want to do any of that. How'd you kind of navigate that in your head? I feel like it's more about educating yourself more uh, than like having some of those reservations. I hear about it all the time of like, oh, well, you pay, you know, X amount in royalties. Well, royalties are, you know, important in terms of what percentages you pay, but it's equally as important as to what the brand does with those royalties. With Duncan, one of the things that I looked at was, you know, we pay a percentage towards our marketing fund, and that's regionally as well as on a national level and what they do with that marketing fund. You know, how's their social media presence and how's their radio and Instagram and, you know, TV ads and all this kind of stuff. And if they're using it wisely, then I don't mind paying it, right? Because it enhances my brand value of my stories. 
Um, so that was kind of the biggest thing for me. It was like, I, I didn't go into it with any reservations. I just went into it as of like, let me just absorb all this information first. And then let me talk to people who are in the system of other brands and see how they feel about their royalties and what, what it's spent on and then compare it to what kind of deal I'm being presented. Yeah, I, for most things in life, I think it's a good philosophy to, before making a snap decision or snap judgment, just do the research and then, and then come to a decision after you kind of understand the pros and cons of each situation. So I, I like the calculated approach. So you own Duncan Locations now, and, and we'll get into kind of how many and how it's been going so far. What were you doing? You know, what time did you start and get into the Duncan system? But also, what were you doing before then? Uh, you know, like, were you working? Were you trying your hand at other businesses? Or did you jump from kind of a corporate gig in, into franchise ownership? Yeah, so I um, grew up in uh, Maryland, in and around the Annapolis area. And my father, as I mentioned briefly, um, my family's been doing this business from basically the early 90s um, in terms of gas stations, convenience stores, strip centers, you know, that sort of thing. So th- there was not a fast food franchise like Dunkin' in the portfolio, but I was exposed to it a little bit. While I was growing up, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Went to Catholic U for undergrad, went to Duke for grad school, and then I was thinking about joining the family business. And uh, my father made it pretty clear to me that that was not an option right off the bat. He (laughs) wanted me to uh, get experience in corporate America first, which I think is incredibly valuable. I think uh, all the mistakes that I made in terms of, you know, just like growing and maturing in the professional world, I made on, you know, other people's dime. And I learned from other people and processes that were already in place. Uh, So I worked at Oracle doing tech sales for a little bit. I did staffing afterwards for about a year or so. And that was kind of just a pivot into something that I thought was kind of interesting. It was a little bit more fast paced and things like that. And uh, it was really cool to learn about like, you know, how to hire people, how to, you know, buy into a client and then be able to sell that client to a prospective candidate and vice versa. And being able to like kind of really understand how people are convinced and, uh, you know, supported through their like uh, professional journey, which has kind of been awesome for me in terms of hiring people now. So, yeah, I was going to say, I I would guess that now that you're kind of in the thick of it and uh, have some experience as an owner, I got to imagine some of those skills probably transfer over, right? From just recruiting sales, all that stuff into being a business owner. Definitely. I think it definitely helps. Um, I wouldn't say that it was like the you know, master like key to everything that I do now. It's definitely not that, but um, it definitely helped. And I think also it allowed me to bring in some semblance of like a corporate organization and understanding of how people do things on a mass scale to, you know, a small business and being able to combine those two things and like really understand the best way to hold meetings and staff meetings, the best way to communicate with teams, the best way to hire in mass quantity, like those things I think are great and have been really beneficial. But so I left the corporate world in mid to late 2017. And I started Duncan with a business partner who has already been in the system since about 2010. And I met him through just some mutual relationships. And uh, he was looking for help. 
He had grown to three stores in about seven years, but he had three kids, a fourth on the way. He was trying to balance a million different other things in his personal life. And he didn't want to let the opportunity to go to waste with the franchise model of like, you know, meeting the quantity of stores, uh, meeting your development plan. Right. And so met him, kind of hit it off and uh, gave it a shot. And uh, yeah, here we are about five ish years later. Awesome. Yeah. And I guess just for the listeners who may not know, just something that's common with franchises is you can purchase a territory up front that can be a metropolitan area, a portion of, of a city, a county or multiple counties. And, you know, you pay a certain amount in fees up front to kind of reserve that territory. But in order to keep it, so to speak, so that it's exclusive and that you're the only operator within certain zip codes or county lines, there's typically what's known as a development schedule, which is what Usman referred to there. And so if you are kind of dragging your feet or and you're not meeting what you agreed upon with the franchisor, they could have the ability to say, hey, you know, we could be growing faster. You're not meeting what we agreed upon. And so they could theoretically sell territories in your location to keep up with their system-wide development schedule. All right. So you join in, you know, your buddy's got three locations. You're going to help him grow to more locations. So how did things go with that first location? It, it sounds like, right, you had experience in entrepreneurship. You grew up in a family that was uh, of business owners. And so like, how, how are you thinking about the risk? Mainly with, you know, in 2017, when you're starting, right, Duncan's obviously already a major national brand, but financing, that's, that's a big question on people's mind. So how, how did you kind of approach it um, as far as what resources did you use that were your own versus, you know, things that are out there, whether it's a bank or SBA loans and things of that nature? I mean, I think like in terms of risk, some self-awareness is always great. And I knew that I was, you know, uh, dealt pretty fortunate cards in terms of my family's expertise in the area, as well as, you know, their position in terms of like, you know, being somewhat well to do in the space as well. So that level of like, just comfort of knowing that like, this is a space that where, you know, my support system is very comfortable, and they know this space really, really well. I was pretty confident in terms of, uh, you know, whether this would be a good deal. I had opportunities to go to people in my family and extended circles, and being like, hey, like, these are the terms that I'm looking at. This is like what I'm thinking in terms of financing. Do you have banks? Like, who do you guys use? You know, all that type of things. Ultimately, I ended up going with a lender um, that specializes in fast food and fast casual restaurants, because that's who my partner had used at the time. And so he had already had a relationship. So that was kind of the first lesson there in terms of how a uh, you know, partnership works. Um, the person that I was being told and, you know, wanted to use the lender was a more traditional lender. And he had already had a relationship with this uh, other lender. And so that was kind of the first big thing of, okay, well, this is where we kind of disagree in terms of comfort zone, but just learning to defer to experience over anything else, any sort of like, you know, emotional aspect of, you know, I am only familiar with traditional lending at this point. And so we okay. used this other lender, in terms of our first store. And it worked out great. You know, we were able to uh, use his other portfolio in the past to be able to get great terms. 
And then subsequently, we evaluate every deal based off of what lender is offering what. And in stores that we've opened since, we've used traditional lenders. So I think from that perspective, I don't think it's like, uh, you know, whether you go into SBA or a traditional lender or something, you know, very market specific that you have to be that guy. You know, you don't have to be the guy who's like, you know what, I did SBA the first time. It was tedious, but it worked out. So next time I'm going to have to do SBA again and, you know, so on and so forth. So I would just caution people against that idea and just making sure that, you know, you really bid it out to everyone and you let everyone compete for your business. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it sounds like going back to what we said earlier, as far as even just like your approach to franchises, which was, let me do all my research and then assess. You seem to kind of have a theme of that where you just did that with lenders as well, right? Like assess them all and and then I'll make a decision on what I want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think one thing that's kind of always been common that someone mentioned to me years back was, you know, when you start a small business and you are pouring, you know, a quarter of a million dollars or, you know, half a million dollars or whatever it is, a hundred thousand, any amount of money that you've worked really hard for, like you need to understand that there's a line between being, disrespectful about it but also being like too passive and you need to understand that you're the one that's made this investment and ultimately you need to feel comfortable with these decisions that you make and so not to be pressured by you know this lender or that lender or you know let SBA drag their feet for too long you know any of those things you got to kind of take some ownership of it of the process and understand that you you are actually providing them business yeah, no, that's that's a super important distinction to make. And yeah, you really got to kind of almost like respect yourself because, right, everyone, call it what you will, but everyone's got their own agenda, right? The lender's trying to win business. They probably know they're competing and getting shopped out versus competitors and all that. So yeah, you really got to make sure that, that you're taking care of yourself and just kind of establishing those boundaries. And it sounds like you did a great job. So just one question, and because this is, Probably a concern for many when they're starting a business is how much collateral do they have to put up? How much do they personally have to risk? How did that go with the lender you ended up working with, right? Is is there a personal guarantee on the line uh, when you started this in 2017? We didn't do a personal guarantee the first time around because we used the existing businesses that my business partner had. And then I separately personally guaranteed to him my portion of the loan just because, you know, we were new at this at the time, didn't have a past business relationship. But I will say that, like, you know, in terms of capital allocation and things like that, in my experience of the franchise world and restaurants in general, is that banks are very, very tough on lending to those things. Uh, they, they need to be a little bit in terms of convinced of what the concept is and also and probably more importantly why you're the best person to run it and in my experience one of the first conversations that i ever had was with you know the lender when they called me personally not my business partner was yeah we're familiar with duncan we're familiar with your business partner but our risk is partially caught up in who you are and what your experience is and Everyone I've ever seen that starts afterwards has some level of like the bank asking them, well, yeah, we're happy to give you this money. You're doing a very well-known franchise restaurant. You're not opening up like Uzman's Coffee Shop or something. But why are you the person that 
can run this and make sure that we're going to get paid every day or every month for the next like seven years. That would probably be my biggest advice um, to just know your background. Um, just having the down payment for it is not always enough, especially in markets like this where banks are getting deals from a million different places in industries and spaces that they know a lot better, mostly commercial real estate, right? Or residential real estate. Those are things that they've nailed down to a T. So why should they invest in you bringing raising canes to Northern Virginia or like Taco Bell to some small town in Kansas? You know, something like that. Like these are things that they don't have to do. They have other options there. So when you're talking about kind of this narrative that you have to present to them, of why you're a good fit as the owner. Is that even quantifiable or is that really just a sales pitch on yourself to them? Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely about some confidence. It's probably the biggest audition you have in the process after getting it from (laughs) the brand, but I don't think it's something to overthink. It's just, you know, if you know, you can do it, you should have some idea and rationale as to why you can do it. Right. It's not, it's not necessarily like a, a pipe dream. It's really more of like, this is my goal and this is how I can achieve it. And this is my plan. Right. And, um, you know, for me, it was very clear on the idea that like, I, you know, have some background in like from the business school aspect of it, but more importantly than that, I know the business, I can speak to it. I've, you know, grown up in and around it. I can show you the like reference points as to like, what my experience is, uh, you know, I can have people vouch for that. You know, my business partner who's already in the space is willing yeah. to do it with me. And that was also probably the biggest asset in the, in the process, right? And that's just about like choosing a, a partner strategically that buys into you as much as you buy into him, him or her. Yeah, no, for sure. And especially I think for someone new starting out, it's not definitely not a requirement. I mean, th- there's stories of big time franchisees who basically started with zero network. So it's not a requirement, but if you do happen to have that kind of advantage where there's someone who you know that could be an asset to you in your venture and and getting them involved in some capacity, it it can definitely pay dividends. So uh, that's an awesome strategy. All right. So so you get in in 2017. Today, you have three locations, right? In 2017, my business partner and I had three locations when I entered, and now we have six currently. And then we have three more in various stages of development between leases all the way to, you know, doing the final order, like ordering of equipment. We're sitting on hopefully nine in a couple of months. We'll see how it shakes out. We thought we would get there before uh, we would get there in 2020. And then obviously everyone knows what's been going on for the last uh, 24 months. So we'll get into a a few things. I want to, one, kind of talk about are your locations traditional versus non-traditional? Because that's a, a big thing with QSRs uh, and fast foods in general, right? That for those concepts specifically, the investment profile of a traditional versus non-traditional and even th- just the expected returns, right? You know, just the act of having a drive-through is a major factor in staffing, in revenue, right? It's just a, a whole nother animal to tackle as an owner, um, what kind of location you go with. But before we get there, from a macro perspective, why did you like Duncan so much as a business to start as it relates to what products they sell and what margins you get with with their higher selling products? The number one reason that I like Duncan was 
that it was something that I was familiar with and I knew that other people in this area were familiar with. It's not a chain that I knew from grad school or from when I grew up in, you know, some other part of the country or something like that. It's a very strong brand in this specific area that I wanted to put it in. It was started six hours away in the Boston area, right? So like, it's not like I'm, you know, bringing something from Texas to Maryland or from California to Florida, it's anything like that, right? So from that perspective, I really liked the brand. And then I also really liked the fact that the products were simple, not in terms of like, you know, they can get, you know, a little hectic to be, you know, on a busy day or something, but just in the sense of like, you know, I knew that there were three biggest product categories and that was donuts, coffee, coffee and drinks, and then sandwiches. There's not 75 things on the menu that we're like, you know, trying to like make and it's not like a tedious like process in terms of like, you know, operations or supply chain from that perspective. But the biggest reason I would say is, uh, I think I might have told you this a while ago, but, um, you know, for me, I would say that the best piece of business advice I've ever given to anyone is if you're going to do a business, make sure whatever you sell has the highest profit margin. And for me, that's coffee, right? Like iced coffee is great profit margins. And, you know, it's the most expensive part of an iced coffee is the cup. And so for me, I, I wanted to make sure that if that's what I'm selling, then, you know, the most of them, then I, I'm, I'm going to be okay. And now not all brands do that, right? Like for some brands, they'll sell a ton of something to get people into the door, but their highest profit margin is something that they have to upsell every single time. That's not great for me from a scale perspective. I know I can sit, I'll be motivated to stand at the register and upsell every single person, but I know that as I grow, I'm not going to be able to be in every store every, every single minute. So how is that going to scale? Am I going to be leaving things on the table? That sort of thing. It sounds a little obvious in a way, right? Is, hey, try to make your top selling skew also have the highest margin, you know, right? I mean, that's kind of like making money 101. But as you said, right, there's a lot of businesses that, that aren't like that. It's the mentality of, would you like fries with that burger, so to speak? So where you're trying to drag someone in with your highest selling item, and that's more just like a loss leader for a lot of businesses. And then, you know, the upsells is where they really try to make their profit. I think when you go into any sort of franchise, I mean, for anyone who listens to this, the last time you went in and someone actively tried to upsell you on an item in like a good customer service way and not in like a badgering you to like and asking you seven uh, times if you want fries with something or whatever it is, right? Like, the last time that's happened to you is probably not that uh, – it's probably been a while. So, I mean, from that perspective, I think employees are not as incentivized to do those things. And frankly, some of them are just not the salespeople to do that, right? They don't have the customer service skills. So you're making it harder on yourself if you're choosing something that has one or two items, one or two SKUs that have great profit margin and you end up selling, you know – 50 of those a month or something like that, right? Like it, it's not it's not great in the food franchise world to be in that position. I'm a huge fan of the team over at Franchairs and what they're building. They're making it easier for you to earn passive income, hedge against inflation, and diversify your portfolio with their franchise platform. Invest anywhere from $500 to $500,000 and leave the rest to the Franchairs team who will carefully build, manage, 
and grow your franchise portfolio. You'll receive a check through the door each month, plus a lump sum when the portfolio sells. With targeted returns between 16 and 21.86%, you'll be joining thousands of investors. Go check them out to start passively investing in franchises at franchshares.com. It's almost like a nice hedge for you as an owner to know that the most common item that your customers are going to come in for is automatically your highest profit item as well. And the fact that you said that the cup is uh, the most expensive part of it, I I know there's uh, some regulation or or just rules around what you can share, but I I think for the listeners, uh, we can let our imagination do the work on uh, what you're making on a latte. I think that's the thing, right? Like people will always ask me like, oh, how much do you make on a latte? And they'll use that as like a litmus test as as to what a latte profit margin looks like. But I think when you're getting into the business and you're looking at margins, the best thing to look at is margins specifically to where you're going to put the store. So some of my locations are on a, a university campus. I'm not technically on the campus, but I would say 20 feet from campus lines. And so very, very close. And they're in, you know, in off-campus housing complexes. And, uh, you know, their margins, my margins on that coffee is uh, significantly different. Those students will have, will buy significantly more beverages than any other store that I have. But they will also, you know, ask for extra swirls or, you know, alternatives to cream, you know, like oat milk, almond milk in mass quantity. And so from that perspective, yes, we do upcharge a little bit for those things, but my margins look differently, right? To that end. So I can't look at it and be like, hey, this is what I think in terms of um, what the profit margin looks like at one store and then what it'll look like at another store. It's just so different. I think it's really like really, really location specific. And, you know, if you're going to if you're going to talk about putting a food franchise or a retail franchise or something in a specific location, you should really work backwards before you get into margins in terms of what the demographics of the customer base look like, what the purchasing power of that customer base is, what their traditional like concepts of, you know, what they will pay extra for. Not Those things are really more important than the margins because of the trends that you'll see as soon as you open a location in one place versus the other. So like, how do you think of what you have on a college campus where it's more of a captive audience? College kids aren't, or for the most part, at least unless things have changed since I graduated, but you know, it's different than a city where you can walk, maybe take a subway or some form of public transportation to a bunch of different restaurants. Whereas college campus, right? It's kind of, it's kind of captive. And then, uh, so sure, the ceiling might be a little lower, but it's just, there's some different aspects to it versus, you know, I would imagine your traditional location that you also own. So how, how do you kind of look at each and what do you prefer if you do prefer a specific form? In terms of the differences there, you know, like when you're on a college campus, the first thing you have to realize is that you're in a you know non-traditional operation. So the other comparables, if you're not looking at things like around a college campus is if you put your, your franchise in a beach town or in a hospital or in an airport or anything like that, those types of stores are 
very different because you're basically going to have to do 12 months of business in a specific time. If there's a, you know, Duncan in Ocean City, Maryland or Ocean City, uh, New Jersey or, you know, something that's not like South Beach or something that's always very busy, those places have four months to do 12 months of business because they know that in February or in January of the year or whatever, um, you know, it's too cold. And then, you know, people typically aren't frequenting the beach in, you know, October either. So for me, it's eight months out of the year to do 12 months of the business because students are not there for four months. And that creates my own challenges. And those challenges could be things like, well, how do I keep the staff? Like, where do I give them hours? The other side of it is that I get four months of downtime to make repairs to the store, to like play around with different ideas, to interview for top candidates. Like, you know, those things like I'm the store is always going to be open, but like the peak season allows me to stay on top of it and like, you know, do a refresh in terms of like, you know, the customer experience there every year. So just pros and cons. I don't know if I would say I prefer one or the other. I think when you sign on with like a, a big player like Duncan, you really have a territory. So like if, you, you know, in my territory, I have non-traditional stores, but then also part of my territory is the college campus area. So I was going to build a store there, right? Like I didn't have a choice yeah. to like avoid that. I would say that for me, I would say that my best piece of advice was to would be to not start with like a non-traditional location, just because if you're going to start with something like that, then you might not be able to be prepared to then go the traditional route just because the business model is a little bit different, right? Your hiring practices are a little bit different, that type of thing. I think it's easier to start with like a standard boilerplate and really yeah. like nail that down and then branch off into whatever makes sense for you from like a special location or, you know, any sort of thing like that. And you'll really learn the business a lot faster in a traditional sense, right? When we started the business, I had to learn all about the sandwiches we sell and the different types of like products. And one of the stores is a combo store. So we sell like, one of the traditional ones is a combo store. So we saw Baskin Robbins ice cream in there and things like that. So yeah, so those things helped me a lot more than if I'd started with a college store and been focused on a vast majority of just beverages, because that's what we sell the most of there. So I think it's been a little bit, there's pros and cons there for, for both, but. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it makes sense. Cut your teeth kind of on, on the standard location and then you can start branching out on the Baskin Robbins location. Is that you as well? Or is that a separate owner? Or is that corporate? Uh, no, it's me. It's a combo store. So I don't know if I would do combo stores very often. But you know, sometimes brands will allow you opportunities to, you know, combine some of their other offerings. You know, Duncan is now owned by Inspire Brands. So you know, they have Sonic yeah. and Arby's and all these things under their umbrella. Yeah, it's a massive portfolio they have. It's crazy. So, you know, like there, there are other opportunities that they push, but I think, you know, that's really getting ahead of yourself as if you're just entering into the uh, kind of the arena, you know, you should just work your way up a little bit in terms of uh, what you think you like and what you like uh, in terms of like work-life balance and all aspects of basically running two stores in, in one 2000 square foot space. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now I could see that. I mean, it's almost a Achilles heel to ambitious people who want to be business owners is, and I, I would put myself in this camp, you know, your eyes get really big and 
you see dollar signs when you hear a combo store. That That's what popped into my head is, oh, you can be selling coffee all day and then nighttime you're selling ice cream. Like, yeah, why wouldn't I want to do that? But I do see what you're saying that <laughs> maybe it's getting ahead of yourself. We could talk more about it later on if you'd like. But I think the problem is, is that one of the things I mentioned earlier was that I always wanted to be my own business uh, owner. And um, that makes sense. And I've been there, so I can totally see why people think that way. But for me personally, I think you are working, if you have that mentality in terms of, you know, being a franchisee, you are working top down and you should really be working bottom up in terms of your your mentality there. Because being a business owner is great, but if you are not passionate about the other things that come with being a business owner and specifically why you want to be a business owner, what you like about it, what brands you like, what they offer, why you're passionate about the customer base you'll be serving. Those things are the things that I think uh, prospective franchisees should do some uh, self-reflection about before they want to be quote unquote a business owner. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, I've spoken to many franchisees and um, it's definitely a grind like any job, so to speak, right, can be. So uh, if you're not finding enjoyment and kind of the little things, it, I would imagine it's going to make it things a lot harder as an owner. And I guess kind of to start wrapping up here, I mean, COVID's obviously been a major curveball for everyone, but especially as a business owner, there's certain implications there. So how have you been navigating that? And, and even in general right now, as you record this episode in, you know, mid-February 2022, where labor is tough to come by. How have you been dealing with it? Have, has there been major struggles? Any specific resources you recommend? I think in terms of COVID, COVID was such an interesting start into what's been a roller coaster of a ride for 24 months. But I think one thing that I did pretty early on was I recognized my brand value to my landlords during the uh, early stages of the pandemic. You know, when uh, we were closed and we weren't able to operate. I wholeheartedly uh, believed that the burden should not fall on any one party more than the other. So I'm not going to go out of my way to try to make sure that I'm paying rent and doing all these different things if my store is not operating anywhere close to maximum potential or, uh, you know, capabilities. For me, it was just pretty simple. It was like, you know, I am of incredibly strong brand here. I add tremendous value both from like a aesthetic sense to your your um, strip centers or your whatever, but also from a traffic count. You know, I am the reason that my, my or my stores. I keep saying I am, but my stores are the reason that you get four hundred cars at eight a.m. to your strip center. That visibility is all yeah. me, right? So, from that perspective, it was like you know what, like you're gonna need to work with me. So I think it's really important to know like the value of the brand that you have to your, you know, respective landlords or, you know, whoever you put your stores in. That's something you should think about, right? Like I really truly believe that I'd be in a much different position if I opened up Usman's coffee shop in 2017 and had to navigate the pandemic versus having a strong national brand name like Duncan, who was putting out advertisements during March and April of 2020, right? Like start of the pandemic, my brand was still advertising. They were still pushing different things and, you know, like pushing drive-throughs and all that kind of stuff. They were working. And, you know, I think that that aspect has been really good to navigate. 
In terms of hiring, it's not great. I don't really like to put myself in a position of like, you know, I don't want to be ever want to be that guy who just complains about the labor market all the time. I think that's pretty tone deaf in terms of like, you know, what employees have, you know, experienced and voiced uh, concerns over. But I will say that like one thing that we definitely do um, is we try to create a really positive work culture. We will pay for students if they're working for us and they're in school and they want to take a business course. We, you know, help pay for those, some of those books or some of those tuition costs. We do incentivization things. We are uh, using a app called Azalio that does employee time and attendance and incentivization so the employees can use points uh, to earn things like gift cards, pizza parties, things like that or whatever. So it helps streamline and manage those things as well. So that's been great. And then ultimately, I, I think I really do think that the thing that we do best is we employ or sorry, we empower our managers to run the ship like it's theirs and they really really care and they hire people that they're so passionate about working with and they make sure that like you know those are the people that are in the store every single day i'm not in the store every single day but those are the people that are in the store every single day so if they're doing their job well then like the stores do pretty well and the employees are really really um really really positive uh in general typically about their their work life uh their work experiences yeah, no, I mean, I think you hit on a couple really powerful things there. I think one, we saw how the brand name can be such a big asset, and it's a lot tougher to build that as an asset if you go independently, right? And I mean, we're, Duncan's a pretty extreme example, to be fair. I mean, it, it's uh, one of the biggest coffee chains in the world. But even for folks who maybe they're evaluating an earlier stage franchise, just knowing that if you do get into a good system and the brand does develop over time, that that's kind of what you're hoping for is that it, it can become something that gives you a lot of leverage in situations like what happened in March of 2020, where, you know, you can kind of flex that power. And that's awesome to be able to have that, right? As at the end of the day, what you are is, is still a small business owner. And as far as the managers, I think for any employer, right, just giving people trust and freedom to run the show, you know, if they're in a leadership position, I know it from my experience, it can be very freeing in a good way. And that's what makes them happy to show up to work every day. So it sounds like that's paid a lot of dividends for you. You know, the other thing is, is ultimately, man, like these people that are working for me, they know me, they probably at this point know me more than I know them, but they know who I am. They recognize me when I walk into the stores. Like, you know, they're, you know, super respectful and they're like, you know, very, very, very good employees in general for the most part. But the the reality of it is, is that they're working more for my managers on a day-to-day level than they are for me, right? So as long as those employees have a good relationship with my manager and vice versa, things will work out from an employee perspective. And if they're not working out, then I know because I've empowered my managers who to seek answers from. I'm not trying to scramble and figure out like, okay, well, where can I plug what person in or whatever? I can call my manager and be like, hey, are we short staffed? Why are we short staffed? What resources do you need from me to be able to hire people that you prefer to work with and have on your crew line? And, you know, because they're empowered and they know what they like and what they're like, preferred method of working is and team and you know all that kind of stuff they're they do pretty well and so you know that that's a big thing but 
I think it also allows me to not have to be in the store every single day. I know that might sound sacrilegious here, but uh, that's very, very important to me. So I'm a big believer on working on your business as opposed to in your business as you're trying to scale. You know, I think a lot of times employees or sorry, franchisees fall into the black hole of working in your business as opposed to working on your business. That's what a lot of people have the goal to do is to eventually scale themselves out. I don't believe that there should be any shame in saying that, right? As long as, like you said, you have good managers who are maintaining a positive culture and the store's customer service and performance, right, is up to par. I think that's what most owners would hope for, right? So it begs the question, you know, you're at three stores now and I know you're close to developing and opening another three, but if you're able to somehow quantify, you know, just to get people an idea of what's possible, how much would you say you're working on those three open Dunkin' stores on a weekly basis? Like, you know, are you working 40 hours a week doing that or is it less? I would say that the three existing stores probably take about 25 to 30 hours a week in terms of, you know, things of whether in the store or working on something with, uh, supply chain or some vendor or fixing a piece of equipment, you know, anything like that, like checking in on some employees, all that kind of stuff. But that being said, I I also want to be very, very clear that there are going to be people who would tell you that they have one store or two stores or three stores, whatever. Um, They're growing is what I'm trying to say. And they spend double or triple the amount of hours that I do. But I am a big believer in leaving some stuff on the table, leaving some money on the table to A, you know, live a well work life balance um, or have like some, you know, balance in your work, between your work life and your, you know, regular social and, you know, other stuff going on. But more importantly than that, I think uh, it also allows me to hire and empower better people overall. So it, it really it really helps, um, but it's really a focal point in terms of how I think business owners should be. But some people will disagree with that. Some people will work endlessly. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that either. Like they want to maximize financial value out of every investment that they make in uh, every store. And that makes sense too. It's just not who I am personally. Yeah. Now, I think the, the beauty of it is, right, is as an owner, you, you kind of give yourself that optionality to do what you want to do, right? So if you want to be the one grinding in the stores 60 plus hours a week, you probably can do that. Or, you know, you can kind of give yourself more of a balance if that's what makes you happy. And I will say that like, man, it's not, it's not binary, right? Like, it's not like you have to be one or the other. When I first started our first store, I was in the store at 4am some nights and leaving at 6pm. It was brutal. And then there comes a time I got married and, you know, I have like a bunch of other things going on and, you know, all these different things. I opened up some other businesses in North Carolina. And so like, you know, there are other things going on. So to be able to like pivot and not just be one or the other type of person, I think is a very valuable skill set to have. Definitely. Definitely. So as you scale up, do you see efficiencies coming? Like, you know, you kind of guesstimated 25 to 30 hours a week on the current stores. Uh, You know, when you open the next set of three, you're going to be at six. Are you you doubling? So you're doubling your store count. Are you doubling the hours? Are you going to be working 60 hour weeks? No, I think um, (laughs) if that was the case, then the returns would have to be 
you know, significantly more, right? Like the whole point of scaling is to, you know, not increase necessarily your workload, but to also, but even if you have to increase a little bit to, you know, infinitely increase your take home or your profit margins or whatever, your overall, you know, revenue. But, you know, for me, it's, you know, we, we have some operational efficiencies put in place. We have a district manager, we have a operations lead who does things like food safety for us and who does things like hiring between all the stores, coordinating with the managers for like resumes, job postings, things like that. And then we will hire an intern for uh, marketing and social media every year and, you know, give them some valuable experience to manage our like Instagram accounts and things like that. So we have some of those in place. I think as we grow, we'll probably have to hire more, but that's how you go from, being a quote unquote restaurant owner to being the owner of a company. Right. And I think the goal for me has always been to, I want to have a company that just happens to own Dunkin' Donuts stores, as opposed to being the guy who owns a Dunkin' Donuts store. That's just kind of my goal, but uh, you know, there's no right or wrong answer there. It's awesome to hear. And I think the multi-unit ownership model is attractive to a lot of people. It's, you know, kind of how, how do you get there? You know, how do you get from one to three? And, you know, you're about to be at six, which is awesome. So um, this has been great, man. I I guess I just want to wrap up with one question. If you could own one franchise and try to take uh, financials out of it, right? It's just for fun. You know, what brand out there in any industry would you like to own? I don't know if I would do it differently, man. I think uh, I would stay in this space. I would have loved to uh own you know chick-fil-a's or mcdonald's or something like that but i don't know i mean i i I think what i guess i'm really trying to say is is that i wouldn't change the industry or the space um within it any of those big major brands man I, i would love to be a part of i think they're all so fascinating in terms of you know how they market themselves to customers and different things like that one of the reasons some of those other brands would be a little bit better is or potentially a little bit better is, man, they're not morning businesses. It's rough when you're dealing with, um, you know, like customers who literally haven't had their coffee yet, right? Like that's literally <laughs> why, they're, why they're there. You know, a long time ago, a customer got so angry um, about something that she threw a bagel at me. Oh my gosh. And I, uh, I was shocked. But then as I'm like walking out and like later on in that day, I'm like passing a Chipotle and I'm like, man, you guys are open at 11 a.m. to like 9 p.m. No one is coming in cranky into a Chipotle, right? Like usually, but like for us, it's like you know, people come in at 5 a.m. And I have sleep deprived customers, sleep deprived uh, employees, and it's like a, a bad mixture sometimes. So um, I would have loved to uh, be part of something that, you know, is really busy from noon to 6 p.m. or 7 p.m., you know, but uh, everything has pros and cons, man. So, yeah, no, it's that's hilarious. I'm, I'm sure you've uh, you've been on the ultimate front lines of customer service because like, like you said, I mean, you're providing the elixir of life in the form of coffee every morning. You know, ultimately, man, like that is not something that we enjoy having uh, happen to us. But at the same time, like, it's just part of the way the world is, right? So it's not all sunshine and roses, right? It's like not, um, you know, there's going to be some some moments like that. So as long as it doesn't make you lose your composure, I think I think most people will be fine, man. 
Yeah, well, um, look, Uzman, this has been an awesome conversation. So uh, I appreciate you coming on. Where can folks, you know, if they want to follow you, reach out, ask questions? Uh, is there a certain platform that, that you're most active on? I'm pretty responsive on Twitter. I don't have the the follower account that you do um, by any means, <laughs> but uh, I'm pretty active there. So people can always follow and shoot me a DM. My Instagram handle is, or sorry, my Twitter um, handle is uh, USMAN, so like US man, and then uh, J A Z A B as in boy. So uh, Usman Jazab right there. And uh, yeah, you can follow me. Um, you could DM me. Uh, people are more than welcome to, you know, get some time on the calendar with me. I'm always happy to talk to people about different concepts and, you know, whether they're doing them anywhere around me or not, just like if they want some one to bounce ideas off of, I would love to, you know, help grow that part of the community. So awesome. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll put the uh, Twitter handle in the show notes for folks. So if you want to follow them, just uh, check that out. Uh, but all right, man, thanks again. And uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.